Hey, good morning, Emmanuel family. Welcome if you're part of the online campus. Um, what a great song to make a transition into the message, and then the closing song is going to capsulize really what I'm talking about this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. While you're getting there, let me give you a few words of introduction. Um, we've been in a series, and we're continuing to be in the series in the summer called Ghost Stories, How the Holy Spirit Changes You and Changes Our World. And so far, we've taken a look at a couple questions that people typically ask, like, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father, Creator, the Son, Jesus, who is our Savior, and then the Holy Spirit, who is our Helper. Um, how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? By asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, by surrendering ourselves. I said to you a few weeks ago, and I want to say it to you again, I asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. It doesn't mean I wasn't filled yesterday, and it doesn't mean I won't be filled tomorrow. It just means that we need to live in a posture of surrender and a posture of needing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit? You receive power. Power to live the kind of way that God calls you to live. Power to be the kind of person that God calls you to be. What has God provided for spirit-filled people to prosper? He's provided the church. The church is the social and spiritual center of our lives. It's where we're able to connect with each other. That's why we're having the Holy Ghost Wiener Roast. Okay, 6.30 tonight, 6.30 to 7.30. Just come out and enjoy hot dogs. Well, I don't like hot dogs. You don't have to eat any hot dogs. Although I do have to say it's going to be quite compelling because I'm wearing a ketchup outfit. And my wife Holly is wearing a mustard outfit. And there's going to be someone walking around in a hot dog outfit. Why are we doing these silly things? We're doing them because we need to connect with each other. You need me, I need you. It's just the way God has made us. So from here on out, we're in Acts. Acts is a book of the Bible in the New Testament. <clears throat> we're working our way through it more or less chapter by chapter. We're in Acts chapter 6 today. Now from here on out, there's, there's a change. And I want to draw attention to that change. In some ways, the first five chapters have been an introduction to where we're going from chapter 6 to 28. And here, here's the way it works. From here on out, we're going to be taking a look at many different circumstances that the early church faced and how spirit-filled, spirit-led people handle each of these situations. The assumption is that you are spirit-filled and spirit-led. Get that down first. Now, from here on out, for the rest of the summer, as we walk through the book of Acts, we're going to talk about varying circumstances that you and I, as spirit-filled, spirit-led Christians, deal with. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about how do you handle problems? How does the Holy Spirit help you, as a spirit-filled, spirit-led person, handle problems? Myron was a city bus driver. Myron was five foot three inches tall and he was 140 pounds and he just wielded this big bus in the city every day going from stop to stop. And one day he pulls up to his stop and uh, many people jump on the bus and there's this big guy, six foot seven, 300 pounds, bulky, muscular, muscular and he jumps on and he has a really low voice and he goes, Big John doesn't pay. 
And with that, he walks to the back of the bus. Uh, the next day, Big John doesn't pay. And he walks to the back of the bus. I mean, Myron, I mean, he doesn't know what to do. But he's irritated. And this goes on for weeks until finally Myron says, I can't take this anymore. And so Myron signs up for judo classes, karate classes. He signs up at the gym. And he spends all summer bulking up, right? And so by the end of the summer, Myron's feeling pretty good about himself. And he's pretty strong now. And he's waiting. It's Monday. He pulls under the bus stop. A whole bunch of people get on the bus. Here comes Big John. Big John gets on the bus. Big John doesn't pay. And he walks, head to walk back to the bus. Myron jumps up from his chair and gets right in his face and screams, Oh, yeah, why don't you pay? To which Big John just step, takes a step back and says, Big John has a uh, uh, bus pass. <laughs> How you see your problems makes all the difference. How you react to a problem is the difference between you solving it and you continuing to deal with it week after week after week. Now, throughout the course of this message, I want you to think about one big problem you have. You may have many problems. We all have many problems. But I want you to think about one big problem that you have and then ask the Holy Spirit right now, God, would you give me insight? It could be a medical problem. Some of you are sitting there and you're waiting for a doctor's report. Could be a financial problem. Some of you are way over debt. Or you're being faced with a number of expenditures that you hadn't planned on. Some of you have relationship problems. And you're like, really, do I have to deal with this? Just pick one of your many problems. And then ask the Holy Spirit to enter into your problem. And by the end of the message, see if God gives you some clarity. Would you stand, please, as we read God's Word together? It's from Acts chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. Or 1 through 7, actually. <clears throat> but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there was rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Now, everybody liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nic um, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas of Antioch, he was an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Holy Spirit, 
uh, would you help us these next few minutes to identify a problem that we're facing? And we invite you, we surrender ourselves to you, we invite you to enter into that problem and speak to us about what that problem would look like if we were walking in your spirit and being led by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A little bit of a contextual background about this scripture passage. No culture ever took care of marginalized people better than the Jewish culture. That's a fact. In Jewish culture, every Friday, two men from the synagogue, the local synagogue, would go around to all the Jewish businesses and all the Jewish homes collecting food, money, whatever you had to give. Later on in the day, Friday afternoon, they would go to people's homes that needed help and they would give them what they needed. Now there was short-term needs and then there was permanent needs. Short-term needs were, let's say you broke your leg and you were out and you couldn't work for five or six weeks. Every week, somebody would bring you whatever you needed for the supplies of that week until you were able to work again. Let's say that you were permanently disabled, or let's say that you were old and, and you couldn't work in the fields or you couldn't do anything anymore, and so you were on the permanent list. Every Friday, you would be delivered 14 meals, two per day for seven days, and whatever you needed to make it, and then that would carry you through till next Friday. That was how the Jewish people took care. It was the welfare system. It was how they took care of their people. No culture in the history of the world ever took better care of their people than the Jewish culture. It's obvious from this passage of Scripture that the early church continued the same process. A little bit of a variation. They were doing daily distribution. Maybe that was part of the fact that, you know, because of Pentecost, lots of people were still staying into the city. Nobody really knows why. But the variation was they were continuing that practice, and there was a daily distribution of food. The church at that time was made up of two kinds of Jewish people. Now remember, we'll see it later in the book of Acts that Gentiles enter into the picture. But for this moment right here, it's just Jews. But there's two kinds of Jews. There were Hebraic Jews and then there were Hellenistic Jews. Okay, what does that mean? Hebraic Jews were Jews who grew up in Israel and had lived there their entire life and they spoke the native language of Israel which was Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. It was his everyday language. The second kind of Jews that were living in Jerusalem at that time were called Hellenistic Jews. What's Hellenistic mean? Greek. They were Greek Jews. Who were Greek Jews? Jews that hadn't necessarily grown up in Israel because of the diaspora, the spreading. They grew up in different parts of the Roman world, but for whatever reason had come home. Maybe they came home to retire. Maybe they came home because it was part of Pentecost. Maybe for whatever reason, these Hellenistic Jews were just in Jerusalem at that time. And so here's what happened. There was this subtle feeling that the Hebraic Jews were just a little bit more Jewish than the Hellenistic Jews. 
because the Hellenistic Jews were seen as secular, progressive, liberal. Now, you didn't go around and talk about it a whole lot. It was just one of these kind of things that if you had grown up in Israel, you're kind of like, yeah, I'm the real Jew. You guys that grew up over in Tarsus, I mean, you're still a Jew, but... So in this scripture, we're, we're, we're meant to ask the question, was the daily distribution of food being skewed toward the Hebraic Jews because of prejudice? Or because the church office manager couldn't keep up with the church database because the church was growing so quickly, people were just being missed? The answer is both. The church was growing at such a rate that nobody could really keep up with who was a Christian. And it was obvious that these are growing pains and they needed to get more organized, like moving from a single cell to a multiple cell organization, whether it's a church or a business. But there's also this underlying sense of we just always kind of prefer the Hebraic Jews over the Hellenistic Jews. And so with that in mind, the disciples called a meeting and they said, we got to fix this problem. And so here's my question to you. How did the early church fix this problem? And more importantly to you and to me, how do you fix problems? Let's begin. If you're going to fix problems in your life, you're going to need to do what the early church did. You're going to need to normalize them normalize your problems. Four church leaders from the same denomination attended a conference together. The emphasis of the conference was being real with each other. So at the coffee break, the leaders decided that they would um, kind of open up. They'd known each other off and on through the years, but they decided this is a conference on being real. Let's just sit, the four of us, and have a conversation and kind of open up and share something very personal. The first leader said, brothers, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I have a drinking problem. I, I know it's wrong. My congregation would be shocked to find out, but I can't seem to help myself. Every once in a while, I just need to go and take a, take a drink. The others listened empathetically and supported him and said we'd pray for him. The second leader shared, brothers, I've never told this to anybody before, but I have a gambling problem. Whenever I travel out of town, I can't help myself. I seem to be able to find a casino, and I've, I've actually large, uh, lost large sums of money. Would you pray for me? They said, yes, we would. The third leader shared, I have a problem cheating on my income taxes. We have money problems, and through the years, I've underreported things, and I've fudged some numbers. Again, the group was, wow, so sorry to hear that. We'll, we'll support you. We'll pray for you. Throughout this whole process, the fourth man was strangely silent through it all. And you know how it's like when everybody goes around in a circle and everybody shares and it gets to you and the eyes just kind of... The fourth man said, well, brothers, I have a vice too. Mine is gossip and I can't wait to get out of this conference <laughs> to share what I've learned today. There's no perfect church. 
There's no perfect leaders. There's no perfect people. There's only one perfect person, and he's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, knowing that helps me to set my expectations when it comes to problems. I think some of us have this mindset that problems are abnormal. And I can't wait until I get over this problem so my life can get back to normal. You've heard me say this before. Life is like an airport. You always have some problems on the ground you're working on. You have some problems about ready to land that you're going to have to deal with. And you've got some problems that are ready to take off. Everybody's got problems. Would it be helpful if we adjusted our mindset to think that you're always going to have problems? Jesus said it himself. Each day has enough problems of its own. That's why he said, do not worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And listen, there's going to be enough every single day for you to deal with until you lay your head down at your pillow at night, and then you're going to have to pick it up in the morning. Why is it that there's something inside of us that says, there must be something wrong with me because I have problems? No, problems are just normal. I think it is helpful to see, before we talk about the next point of fixing problems, I think it's helpful to see what the apostles didn't do when they discovered that the Greek-speaking Jews were being discriminated against, whether intentionally or unintentionally. They did not call a day of prayer and fasting to confess the systemic injustice in the church. That's not to say they couldn't have or it's a wrong thing to do that. It is to say that for whatever reason, when they were faced with this systemic injustice, they didn't feel like that was necessary. They did not mandate cultural sensitivity training for all the Hebraic Jews to understand what it was like to be a Hellenistic Jew. There's nothing wrong with that. They just didn't seem to think that that was necessary either. Nor did they marginalize or ignore the issue or make the marginalized feel bad for bringing it to their attention. In other words, sometimes when you have a problem and somebody brings the problem to you, you're like, hey, why are you even bringing this up? No, they listened with respect. They owned it, and they just fixed it. I think some of us have a tendency to make a thing out of a thing that doesn't need to be a thing. Because you know what happens, right? If you make a thing out of a thing that doesn't need to be a thing, it distracts everything. I also think some of us do not have as much joy as what we could have because we're waiting for a moment that will never happen, being problem-free. Some of us have this dream in our mind when the house is paid off, my anxiety level will drop. When the kids go to school, things will be a lot better. When I get out of debt, oh, I'll really be without problems now. When I retire, that's the goal. When I buy a new house or when I am cancer-free, you know, there's always going to be something. A problem to solve. Do not wait for your problems to go away. Choose joy now in the middle of your problems. Which leads to the second way that spirit-filled people handle problems, and that is they fix them. 
Yes, having problems, yes, normalizing problems does not mean that you shouldn't try to fix the problems that you can fix. In other words, we need to face our problems head on and fix them. Now, what I find remarkable about these verses is, is that the apostles in the early church created a six-step process for solving problems that rivals any business books today about solving problems. In other words, the early church was way ahead of the curve. And they dealt with this issue of problem solving long before the Harvard Business School did, or long before any other business book did. They actually literally created a process to do so. Now, what I'm about to share with you will fix 90% of your problems. The other 10%, God always leaves as a mystery in your life so that you can keep pressing into Him and being dependent upon Him. That's the whole point of James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. When problems or when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, James says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. In other words, God uses problems to grow you. No problems, no growth. Big problems, big growth. We should thank God that he doesn't remove all the problems that we have in our life because we'd be like jellyfish. I'm just having a good time floating around this ocean. And God's like, no, that's not the point of the Christian life at all. The point of the Christian life is to become more like Jesus. And so God uses problems. Hey, are you thinking about that one problem I talked about earlier? That one problem that you'd like to get rid of? Maybe that's the one problem that God's going to use to shape your character in the next few months. So what's the six-step process? Here it is. Number one, this will solve 90% of every single problem you work on. Number one, get understanding. You do this by asking the question, what's the real problem? What's the real problem? For the church, the presenting issue was the food distribution problem. But that wasn't really the real problem, was it? It was a deeper problem. And the deeper problem was centuries old, it was an underlying attitude of one group of people feeling superior to another group of people. Sometimes the presenting problem isn't the real problem. So you need the Holy Spirit to ask, you need, the Holy, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to say, is there something deeper I need to see? Because if you only take problems on a surface level, you'll only deal with whatever that presenting problem is, and you won't be able to deal with the root of that presenting problem. Always try to go to the root first if you can. Ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom and discernment. So for example, those of you who have children, our children, our grandchildren, you know, sometimes you have some problems with your kids. They're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, you know, cleaning my room. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. You have a hard time motivating your children. See, the presenting issue may be, I'm not cleaning my room. But you have to ask yourself the question, is there something underneath that has generated that? Maybe it's a conversation where they felt devalued. Maybe something is going on at school that's unrelated, but it's affecting them. Ask yourself what the real problem is. Second is set priorities. And we do this by asking the question, what's most important? Feeding people is very important. But there was a more important priority for the church, and that was the apostles could not allow themselves to be distracted by the daily distribution of food issue to keep them from their main priority, which was praying and teaching and preaching. Now, here's the point. If everything is important, nothing is important. 
You cannot put everything as priority number one. You just can't. Because your mind is like spaghetti. And everything will get confusing and you'll just kind of like go around. Here, I'll work on this problem for a while. Here, I'll work on this problem for a while. And you won't move. You won't advance that far. You're going to have to set your priorities, right? I had a friend that um, was very talented working on cars. And so every day after work, he would come home, grab a quick bike to eat, and then go out to the garage to work on cars that he had as a side business from like 6 7 o'clock till late into the evening. He did this like six, seven days a week. The problem was is that he never spent time with his family, which created a bigger problem. And it wasn't until things got to a head that he realized that he's trying to fix one set of problems, which by neglect created another bigger set of problems, and that's because he was out of priority. He hadn't set his priority. Number three, make a plan. Um, the question that you ought to ask yourself is, how can we fix this? What do I need to do to fix this problem? This usually involves asking help from other people. A very wise counselor of mine once said, Mark, nobody gets to clarity alone. Nobody. Our minds are spaghetti. We feel overwhelmed. Sometimes we need to talk it out to realize, oh, right, now I need to do this. Interestingly, the 12 apostles got together to address this issue. What do you think they were doing? Well, Peter, what do you think? John, what do you think? Andrew, what do you think? And they just kept going around and around until they worked it out and came to the solution. Four, communicate the plan. Who needs to know how to fix what's wrong? The apostles called the church together and shared how the problem was going to be solved. So the other day... I bought a, a new car. It wasn't a new car. It's a used car, but it's new to me. And I needed to take it back to the shop for a couple minor things. And so I'm on my way to the shop to get those minor things taken care of. And it dawns on me that they're going to have to have the car all afternoon. And it dawns on me, I never communicated that I needed to go to the shop to anyone. Therefore, how am I going to get back to the church office? I call Holly up. I'm on the other side of town. I can't pick you up. Oh, no. I call Pastor Dave up. He's in the middle of doing something. I, I call Jake up. Jake's like, yep, I'll be right over. Jake comes over, picks me up, drives me back to the church. All's good. Except that I just now disrupted Jake's day. And Jake had to stop whatever he was doing to go pick up the pastor because the pastor wasn't smart enough to communicate ahead of time to make plans to get back to the office. It's a little thing, but here's the point. Sometimes we get so tunnel vision in our problems that we come up with a solution, but we don't even tell the right people what the answer is. And we just go off trying to fix the problem. But we, we, don't, we don't have people around us like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm fixing the problem. Well, first of all, I didn't even know there was a problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, when were you going to tell me that we had a third credit card I didn't know about? Right? It's simple. Look, all of this is so simple. I bet you half of you have checked out right now. I know. I've read like so many books on problem solving. No, no. It's, it's not what we don't know that catches us off guard. It's what we do know that we're not doing. 
that catches us off guard. Number five, delegate. Sometimes we need to ask the question, who can we trust to do this well? You know, you don't need to fix every problem yourself. You can find other people who will actually be better at fixing the problem than you. In business, it's called getting the right people on the bus and making sure they're in the right seats. In our verses today, the Acts chapter 6 church did this extremely well. They chose people who were well-respected. They chose people who themselves were filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit and used wisdom and discernment. Now, notice something that is not exactly seen right away in these seven verses. The 12 apostles made a plan. They communicated the plan. They delegated the plan to seven men. All seven men had Greek-speaking names. They were all Hellenistic Jews. So the apostles' solution to this problem of the Hellenistic widows not getting the food distribution like the Hebraic widows, their solution was, let's put all the Hellenistic people in charge of the food distribution program to skew whatever prejudice may be there to make sure that it gets worked out. I think that's very wise. There are some people in your life who you could call on that would be much better skilled than you to fix some problems that you're dealing with. And then lastly, celebrate the solution. I like verse 5. Everybody liked this idea. Here's what I just envisioned in my head. This is 21st century, Mark. I envisioned that when the apostles rolled out this plan, this is what we're going to do to fix this food distribution problem. I imagine everybody just high-fiving each other. Yeah, yeah, all right. Let's move on. I just think sometimes that when we solve a problem, we just forget to celebrate because we're so wrapped up in the next problem that we don't even pause to thank God that one problem is fixed. We just move right on to the next. But celebration is pretty important. Number three, first is normalize your problems. Second is fix your problems. The third is keep the main thing the main thing. I love verse 7. So when God's message continued to spread, the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. You know, there's a tendency oftentimes that we get so wrapped up in our problems that we have tunnel vision. And when we have tunnel vision, that's all we can think about. All we can think about is this problem. Whatever you're thinking about today is the one problem that you're kind of mulling over. I bet you, you went to bed thinking about that problem last night and you woke up thinking about that problem. And this problem is like, you remember Linus in the Peanuts? Right, Linus always had this dirt around him. He always has this cloud that's following him wherever he's going. Some of us walk around with our problems like that's the big cloud hanging over our heads. And no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter who we're talking to, there's always this cloud in the back of our head dealing with that problem. And so we get tunnel vision. Which brings me to ask this question. Why is this story in the Bible? I ask this kind of question all the time. Because remember... Like, even in the book of John, John says, John the Apostle says that there were so many things that Jesus did that they couldn't be contained in all the books in the world. In other words, there's a reason why some stories are in the Bible and other stories are not. So when Luke is writing Luke-Acts, Acts is part two, volume two, of the continuing acts of Jesus through his Spirit, 
He has to, he, he, he's sitting down like with an editorial pen and he's thinking, what story should I share? So here's my question. Why is this particular story in the book of Acts? Why isn't there a dozen other stories illustrating how we handle problems? Because it's a gentle reminder to church leaders that we have been instructed and entrusted to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is praying for, preaching, and teaching the gospel. I do not want to be misunderstood in this last point. So I'm going to try to communicate it with great clarity. There is nothing wrong with feeding people. There is nothing wrong with clothing people. There is nothing wrong with making marginalized people a priority. You ready for this? But that's not the main priority of the church. If it is, we've been reduced to a social service agency. The main priority of the church is to do what only the church can do, and that is to present Jesus to a broken, marginalized world. What makes us unique, what our best gift is to the world, is proclaiming Jesus. preaching from the Bible, communicating truth. It's not to say that those other things are not important. They're very important. We spent $447,000 last year from our church giving it away to various groups. But the number one thing the church must always guard is the proclamation of Jesus. That's our gift to the world. If we forget that, we're just a social agency. Now, carry that over into your personal life. You can get so wrapped up in a problem that tunnel vision keeps you from keeping the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing for Christians? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, keep the main thing the main thing, Jesus and his kingdom. Let's stop and think about some other things. I think some people are so focused on their problems, they're losing their families because they're trying to fix something else. I'm wondering this morning if this may be a clarifying moment, a wake-up call, where you need to just go, wait a minute, am I allowing whatever the problem was we were talking about, am I allowing that problem to skew and take me away from the main thing? So here's how I'd like to close. 
I want to give you an invitation this morning, and the invitation is you can come to the altar, you can stand up where you're at, you can kneel where you're at, you can come up to the front and stand. It does not matter to me because this is a moment between you and the Lord. But my invitation is for you to find some way of presenting a problem that you're currently facing to the Lord and say, speak into it. Give me some clarity. Maybe one of those six problem-solving steps is, oh, I needed to hear that. Or maybe for some of you, oh, I'm not keeping the main thing the main thing. Jesus first. I'm losing my family, but I'm doing well at work. What good is that? And just allow the Holy Spirit to speak and give you clarity on this issue of solving problems. Let's bow our heads together. Holy Spirit, um, these next few moments as the worship team closes us out, we declare being sacred in a special way. We invite you to come and speak very clearly to us about the problem that we identified in the beginning of the message. This is a problem. speak fill us with your spirit again give us discernment wisdom understanding we yield to you because you have our best interests at heart in Jesus name amen as the worship team is singing if you want to come up forward kneel at the altar great if you want to stay right where you're at that's totally fine if you want to stand up right where you're at that's fine I'm not trying to give any kind of dictation of what you ought to do just do something and present yourself to the Lord